Welcome, brothers and sisters, to this edition of the 80 Prophecy Report, where we review current news and events and their connection to biblical prophecy. I'm your host, Matthew Shanshay. Thank you for the resounding response from our last episode. If you want to keep up on the latest prophetic events, make sure to join Amazing Discoveries' bi-weekly newsletter and hit subscribe to stay informed for the times that we live in. You can join for free just by heading over to welcome.amazingdiscoveries.org. In this episode, we cover the urgent call by world leaders for global unity with the goal of answering these primary questions. What definition of unity are these leaders using? Is global unity considered good or bad by Bible standards? Who are the main figures of global unity? What are their backgrounds and beliefs? We'll dive into the little understood concept of liberation theology and see how it's being used to change our everyday lives. And we'll look at what the individual can do to prepare for the coming transformation of society. Let's get started. Pope Francis has used his Easter Sunday message to call for solidarity and peace worldwide amid the pandemic. Non è questo il tempo dell'indifferenza, perché tutto il mondo sta soffrendo e deve ritrovarsi unito nell'affrontare la pandemia. This is above all a human crisis that calls for solidarity. Governments must give the strongest support to the multilateral effort to fight the virus led by the World Health Organization whose appeals must be fully met. Let's unite. Let's unite. Unity is the only option to defeat this virus. We need the innovative power of the world deeply cooperating with each other. While we have faced challenges before, this one is different. This time we join with all nations across the globe in a common endeavor. Perché questo è un miracolo, il miracolo dell'unità è incominciato. There's been a massive push for global unity over the last month. As these calls for unity and solidarity reign in all segments of society, it's important to define who are the figureheads of these calls to action and what definition of unity and solidarity do they believe in. As we saw in our last episode, using the same terminology doesn't mean everyone is defining those terms the same way. Notorious global diplomat Henry Kissinger recently stated in an article from April 6th that the only way to defeat this health crisis is by uniting under a world government. He warned in an op-ed that no government can defeat COVID-19 alone implying that the new world order he's always preached must be followed. He states, no country, not even the U.S., can in a purely national effort overcome this virus. Addressing the necessities of the moment must ultimately be coupled with a global collaborative vision and program. What does Kissinger say has been the biggest force blocking his vision for global unity? In his book, World Order, it states the goal for what kind of unity this coming one world system desires, 
and the power of the past that has impeded its progress. He states, Religious unity had fractured with the survival and spread of Protestantism. The Protestant Reformation destroyed the concept of world order sustained by the, quote, two swords of papacy and empire. That is to say, a world order sustained by a united church and state system. This same Protestant Reformation mentioned by Kissinger is the Reformation that identified the papacy as the fourth beast in the vision of Daniel, the little horn power of Daniel, and the last beast power of Revelation. All three pointing to one system of belief and one structure of government to enforce that belief. To learn more about the powerfully important history of the Protestant Reformation and how it relates specifically to our time, check out Rekindling the Reformation by Walter Veit. There's a reason why God would identify this power so clearly throughout history to his people. It is the common thread that binds all facets of our ever-changing world together and will be the foundation of the one world system of governance that will be based on the papal definitions of the words common good, morality, unity, fraternity, solidarity, humanity, and oneness. Keep these words imprinted in your minds. These will be the terms used to push a very specific agenda that shifts the world's thinking to be that of a global citizen. Hi, this is Lady Gaga, and today I'm so happy that we are one world together at home. I feel very honored to be a part of the World Health Organization and Global Citizen. WHO has been working with Global Citizen for several weeks on the Together at Home concert series through the One World Together at Home virtual global special One World. This one world mindset will be pushed using every means at their disposal to gain the public approval for this change to global thinking. Bible prophecy indicates this will reflect the social teachings, system of governance, and worship principles of Roman Catholicism, and this thinking will eventually be accepted globally. At this stage, it may be important to look at what the Bible tells us to look for in order to distinguish between the forces of good for God and the forces of evil for Satan. The book of Matthew states, You will know them by their fruits. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a corrupt tree bears evil fruit. Can we determine if trying to gather the world under one system is considered good fruit or corrupt fruit by Bible standards? What might Jesus say to this question? Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. The division Jesus speaks of here is not one of violence or revolution, but division based on truth versus error. Like when hearing the error of those who believed he had come to set up a kingdom on earth, Jesus stated, My kingdom is not of this world. God has provided mankind a guide to know the truth 
and how to truly distinguish good from evil by God's standards. John 17, 14, I have given them your word. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. John 17, 17, your word is truth. But are those who tell this truth loved by the world? Are they interested in unifying the world together? And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Again, he states in John 17, 16 about his people here on earth. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. One of the more telling accounts against global unity is found in 1 John chapter 2, where it states, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Christ desired that his followers focus on the kingdom that's coming, not creating a global empire here on earth. Let's look at what God did when the world was united under one system in the kingdom of Babylon in the book of Genesis. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. What did God do? So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. The world united, God scattered. Using the scriptures, we can see that the efforts of earthly powers for a forced version of peace and unity in this world is seen by Bible standards as a corrupt tree bringing forth evil fruit. For these are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Once this power gathers all the kings of the earth and the whole world, what is its true goal and its true consequence for the individual? All who dwell on earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life. And he deceives those who dwell on earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorceries all nations were deceived. The repeated warning from the Bible is clear. Watch out for a unifying power that brings the world together in the name of God, using false teachings and deceiving eventually by false miracles. Its focus will be an earth-centered system, 
and despite its calls for peace and safety, it will end in total destruction. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, and they shall not escape. At this stage, it seems important to ask, who in the world is urgently pushing for global unity and demanding action by sovereign governments worldwide? There are four key figures that need to be brought to the forefront of this investigation. These four figures are at the very center of the global public health conversation and have been extremely vocal about their views on how to solve the world's problems. So it's important for us to understand who they are and what it is they believe to determine how they might influence the organizations they run. These key figures are Pope Francis, Antonio Gutierrez, Tedros Adhanom, and Arturo Sosa. These four hold positions of great influence and are all connected by a common thread. Their historical track record for strictly upholding the Catholic social teachings of liberation theology. Their agenda of global unity and their preferred form of government to enforce these ideologies. Let's review some of the papal agenda over the past year and see if a picture starts to take form. Pope urges for global family of nations. Pope Francis on Saturday called on the international community to create a global family of nations and peoples with a sense of unity and solidarity. Pope Francis states the common good has become global. The nation-state is no longer able to procure the common good of its population alone. The common good has become global and nations must associate for their own benefit. Pope calls for global pact on education. An alliance, in other words, between the Earth's inhabitants and our common home, which we are bound to care for and respect. An alliance that generates peace justice, and hospitality among all peoples of the human family, as well as dialogue between religions. Pope Francis calls for global ceasefire, where he joined the UN Secretary General in calling for the cessation of armed conflicts, quote, in all corners of the world. Pope calls for mitigating global warming. Faced with a climate emergency, the world must act immediately to mitigate global warming and avoid committing, quote, a brutal act of injustice on the poor and future generations. Pope Francis calls for universal basic income, stating, 
This may be the time to consider a universal basic wage, which would acknowledge and dignify the noble, essential tasks you carry out. The calls from the Pope are clear. Each issue is a global issue, and the basis of which he takes on these issues are strictly founded in Catholic moral teachings, some of which we covered in a previous episode, and something everybody should understand for themselves. The solutions proposed by the Pope on these issues, if fully adopted, would represent a dramatic shift from current nationalistic structures of government to a global form of a very specific type of civil government. Let's see if these global calls to action were echoed anywhere else. Let's take a look at Antonio Gutierrez, Secretary General of the UN. UN Chief calls for, quote, common good. The United Nations is well-placed to be a forum for debate on how best to guide progress to better serve humanity. We must seize the moment in partnership to deliver on the promise of technological advances and harness them for the common good. UN Chief calls for global ceasefire, stating, The fury of this virus illustrates the folly of war. That is why today I am calling for an immediate global ceasefire in all corners of the world. This is the same language used by Pope Francis. UN Chief calls for greater global efforts on climate change. Climate change is the gravest and most urgent obstacle to the global stability and prosperity, and greater joint efforts made by every country and every community in the world are necessary to deal with this crisis. Gutierrez is quoted as saying, Today's challenges to sustainable development and human progress do not respect borders. They are not confined to individual nations. UN Chief calls for universal basic income, where he states, the very nature of work will change. Governments may have to consider stronger safety nets and eventually universal basic income. A side-by-side -side comparison would show an agenda that seems to mirror the Pope's agenda almost identically, even in some cases using identical language. But what do we know about Antonio Gutierrez? Many know that he's the head of the UN, but may not know his past to see how he ascended into a position he holds today in the United Nations. A native of Portugal, Gutierrez has been a lifelong devout Roman Catholic. His relationship with his faith and his political beliefs are highlighted in this article from Jesuit magazine, America, where it states, Gutierrez joined the Socialist Party the year it was formed underground, and soon after the collapse of the regime, he dedicated himself fully to building a political career. When elected Prime Minister in 1995, he was considered a natural leader of the Catholic wing of the Socialist Party. It goes on to say, Many of Gutierrez's views on global affairs, including rising inequality, terrorism, migration, and climate change, mirrored those of Pope Francis. 
and the positions that Gutierrez has taken since being at the head of the UN has played itself out to be in perfect alignment with very specific religious and political worldviews. He has a long history of backing a specific form of government. Prior to his appointment to Secretary General of the UN, he was president of an organization called Socialists International and had a prior position as Secretary General of the Socialist Party. He joined the Socialist Party in 1974 with a specific attraction for Marxist socialism. An article from 2016 provides more depth on his relationship with Marxist socialism and puts into the spotlight the organization Socialists International, or SI. And who is SI? It's an alliance of socialist and communist political parties from around the world, including many rebranded former communist parties from the Cold War era. The article goes on to state that SI held its annual congress in an African nation led by a Marxist-Leninist member political party that, according to leading genocide experts, was at that very moment engaged in the planning and preparation phase of genocide in a bid to exterminate an embattled minority group. The article goes on to say, Columnists and commentators at major publications have already expressed serious concerns about Gutierrez's extremism. Quote, As president of Socialist International, Gutierrez envisaged a radical model of government led by a UN parliamentary assembly that would facilitate the emergence of global citizens. It continues, SI declared that its goal was to parliamentize the global political system by establishing a, quote, UN Parliamentary Assembly. In a 2003 document titled Governance in a Global Society, Gutierrez cited his support for Socialist International's agenda of creating global citizens, stating, at some point, contemplation of a UN Parliamentary Assembly will be needed. Such a development should be supported by the gradual emergence of truly global citizens. This seems to be the key to identifying what system of global governance will be instituted in our future. But what is Marxist socialism? Let's cover this as briefly as possible. The Marxist definition of socialism is identified by an economic transition. In this transition, the sole criteria for production shifts from price value, or capitalism, to use value, or communism, as defined by Marx. Therefore, the law of value no longer directs economic activity. But in order to spark the changes needed for this economic transition, it needs a catalyst. Marx believed that society could not be transformed from the capitalist mode of production to the communist mode of production all at once, but required a transitional state, which Marx described as the dictatorship of the proletariat. Listen carefully to what this term means. It is the intermediate stage between a capitalist economy 
and a communist economy, whereby the government nationalizes the ownership of the means of production from private and collective ownership. This term is describing the exact characteristics of what we're experiencing in the world right now. In this thinking, this means the fundamental changing of an economy into what the state says an individual needs, not what the individual can achieve for themselves, effectively destroying the concepts of independent wealth and independent freedom. It's interesting to note that the founders of Marxist thinking, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, used the terms socialism and communism interchangeably. Given Gutierrez's background, it may be fair to say that one of the world's leading experts on Marxist socialism is now in a position to implement it on a global scale. He recently made a desperate appeal, demanding the world to unite in action. We are facing a global health crisis, unlike any in 75-year history of the United Nations. One that is spreading human suffering, infecting the global economy, and upending people's lives. A global recession, perhaps of record dimensions, is a near certainty. This is, above all, a human crisis that calls for solidarity. Our human family is stressed and the social fabric is being torn. This is a moment that demands coordinated, decisive and innovative policy action from the world's leading economies. My central message is clear. We are in an unprecedented situation and the normal rules no longer apply. Our world faces a common enemy. We are at war with a virus. COVID-19 is killing people as well as attacking the real economy at its core, trade, supply chains, businesses, jobs. But in managing this crisis, we also have a unique opportunity. I call on world leaders to come together and offer an urgent and coordinated response to this global crisis, as we need to immediately move away from a situation where each country is undertaking its own health strategies to one that ensures in full transparency a coordinated global response Governments must give the strongest support to the multilateral effort to fight the virus led by the World Health Organization, whose appeals must be fully met.
in most parts of the world, <clears throat> due to lockdown, most of the transmission that's actually happening in many countries now is happening in the household, at family level. In some senses, transmission has been taken off the streets and pushed back into family units. Now we need to go and look in families to find those people who may be sick and remove them and isolate them in a, in a safe and dignified manner. Global solidarity is not only a moral imperative, it is in everyone's interests.